Her children are bastards! And she is a whore. Have your tongue for that. He can keep his tongue. My thing was all bangers all the time. All bangers all the time. King Viserys, first of his name, King of the Andals and the First Men. He was the blood of the dragon, but now his fire has gone out. He was Viserys Targaryen, and we shall never see his like again. And now his reign has ended. Seven blessings and welcome back to All Bangers, otherwise known as ABP. Our thing is All Bangers all the time. I am your host, Sir Vizzy. Here to cover episode 8 of HBO's Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon. This one was a rough one. This one was tough to watch, man. This one was tough to watch. One of those episodes you don't want to rewatch because it's so emotional. And also because it's so damn good. And, you know, it's so good you want to put it away. And you want to revisit it later. So it still holds the same emotional weight it did the first time you saw it. The last, the last Thrones episode that made me feel this way was The Door in uh, season six of Game of Thrones. And that aired on May 22nd, 2016. So it's been a long time. But you always remember these types of ep- episodes, man. And you recognize them right away when, when you watch them. But this was the episode I needed to see from House of the Dragon. This is This is the type of episode where it transcended from entertainment to something truly special. And that's the highest praise I can give something. This episode inspired you to want to be a better person. And if I think back to the original Game of Thrones season one, I I don't believe we got something this emotional this early on in the series, not even with Ned. Ned, it was more shock factor. With this... You know, we saw Viserys wither away over seven episodes, covering the span of like 20, 25 years. So I I think the reason why this works so well in this universe is because Game of Thrones is, it's, it's normally about nihilistic, questionable, selfish human beings. So when you get seven hours of that, or in the case of The Door, you know, that was season six. At that point, we had 55 hours of that until we get to Hodor at the end of that episode. What makes it so powerful and so memorable, they show us what the human condition looks like. Like, we are inherently flawed. And this is a sick and twisted universe to live in. I'm talking about Westeros. But we still have people trying to do their best. And you want these people to succeed in their hopes. And to have a piece of media 
have such a significant impact on us. Something you're always going to remember, you're going to want to remember, something you want to share. This is where entertainment becomes important beyond just an escape from the drudgery of life, right? On top of that, you have this episode really inspiring you to be better. And that's when a show or a movie impacts on a cultural level. And we need that more, more now more than ever. And look, who, who would have thought it would come from this universe with these characters? But for those of us who have seen death, you know, sucking the life out of somebody slowly, somebody that we love, and then taking them all at once, look, this episode hit really hard. And uh, this was really personal to me uh, because, I mean, just, you know, just look, I struggle with death. Okay. I don't understand it. I don't understand how one day somebody can be here and the next they're not. It's pretty abstract to me. And like, I can't quantify it, even though it is technically quantifiable. But yeah, I just, I have a hard time with that. And uh, I received a lot of DMs from people saying Viserys' final day reminded, reminded them of their grandfather, their grandmother their father. I got a lot of DMs saying that. And uh, for me personally, it reminded me of my grandfather. In fact, Viserys looked and sounded similar to how my grandfather did on his final days, just slipping in and out, mumbling incoherently, remembering memories of his childhood. It's amazing how the body shuts down organ by organ, but the brain still fights hard to stay alive with an explosion of images and memories that flood back as each breath you take is one less than the one you had before. And um, so for any of you who have seen what this looks like in real life, uh, my thoughts are with you. And look, I've been there too. So, um, you know, there's nothing more sad to me personally than seeing an old man cry. Uh, that's just my opinion. But uh, that's the one thing that always gets me, seeing old men cry, especially men who grew up in generations that were told crying is for girls, don't show your emotions, that's not what a man is. And, you know, by the end, they can't help but let it all out for fear of what's coming, fear of the unknown, fear of not seeing their family again or feeling like they didn't see or do things they wish they did in life. But Patty Considine, uh, he delivered the performance of a lifetime in this episode, and he gave us a haunting yet stunningly accurate depiction of what growing old and sickly looks like, what it sounds like and feels like as somebody who has to watch it happen. And this performance, so powerful, and we knew it was coming. We knew he was going to die. Right? It was only a matter of time. We knew it was coming. We knew Viserys was going to die. And still, we weren't prepared to be this emotional. And for a show that's been criticized for not having anybody likable or redeemable, they sure did a number on us this episode by how they depicted the end of King Viserys' reign. A man who never wanted the throne. A man who, by the end, put his family before duty and showed that strength comes in many forms. And uh, a man who, who, who wishes he was tested only to realize on his final day 
that this was the test he always waited for. What will the history say about King Viserys, the first Targaryen? A tragically flawed but noble king who valued peace above all else. And the mistakes he made were through honest intent of trying to do the right thing. And sometimes it leads to the wrong things. But his intent was always peace. And he always wanted people to be happy. And what a wonderful ideal to aspire to be and to work towards. He kept his grandfather Jaehaerys' legacy alive for 26 more years. Look, he, he wasn't a great king. He never won any battles. He never did anything heroic in the eyes of the people. But what is greatness? At the end of the day, behind stone walls and closed doors, greatness was making sure your family is safe, that they feel loved, that they hear discipline, and they're put above all else, even the crown. At the very end, Viserys Targaryen showed us one of the greatest examples of strength we've ever seen in media. And let me wrap this intro by saying this. A character walks across a room. That's it. That's the scene. A character walks across a room. And a show makes that so powerful and so emotional, it moved us to tears. And you can only do that through expert setup, through great writing, and through great character building. And I'm not just talking about Viserys, but I'm talking about Damon and Rhaenyra as well. Because none of this works without them. Viserys is sacrificing, literally dying with each step for them. For Jace, for Luke. And the show earns this moment. And we will always remember the last walk of Viserys Targaryen. And when I say show, when I say the show earns it, look, there are so many shows and movies that really just fake this type of shit. Like they haven't showed us why it's important or, or show us why it's impactful or, or why we should care enough to, to earn what they're, what the director, what the writer, producers, what, what the actors are trying to make us feel. It doesn't feel earned. And what happens when you get that, that type of um, disingenuine storytelling, you end up feeling nothing. Because it doesn't mean anything. But this meant something. In fact, to the character, to Viserys himself, this meant everything to him. And as an audience member, we only feel a fraction of what he genuinely, genuinely feels. The love for Rhaenyra, the love for his brother, his grandboys, Jason Luke. Entertainment can be like this. Shows and films that can truly move you on an emotional level and inspire you to be better, 
It happens once in a blue moon, which makes it all the more special. And they achieved that in these 68 minutes here. So who was Viserys the first Targaryen? Well, he was simply human. House of the Dragon, Season 1, Episode 8, titled Ward of the Tides, written by Eileen Shim, directed by Gita Patel. Here's the description. Six years later, with the Driftmark succession suddenly critical, Rhaenyra attempts to strike a bargain with Rainies. So, okay, so um, we open back up on Driftmark, okay? We were in six years have passed. And just as in the books, we learn through Rainies that Corlys is injured while fighting in the Stepstones, and this is really the catalyst for everything that happens in this episode. But we can infer through this scene that they probably had this huge blowout after Lena and Lainor die, and, and Corlys just said, you know, fuck it. Like, I'm going back into battle. Need to clear my head, cut some throats. But his throat ends up being cut when he and his men are ambushed by what appeared to be an empty ship that lured them aboard. Corlys is still alive, though. Um, for now, at least, uh, he has blood fever that's said to burn from within. Corlys is uh, he's healing up on Evenfall, which is an island just off the coast of Storm's End. Keep Evenfall in the back of your mind for the next two episodes, especially with episode 10. But uh, we see Rainies, She's fostering Bela as her ward. Last episode, I, said, I kept on saying Bela, but it's Bela. I don't know why I kept on saying that. I wanted to hit every syllable. <laughs> but Bela has, uh, she has the same hair as her mother, Lena. She has the same dresses as, as Lena. It's pretty intentional because we see Raina. She's she's very different. She's very sort of like fashion forward uh, since, you know, she's, I guess she's, she's more like Cersei in a way, just in terms of fashion. And Bela is more like Cat. Like, you know, in, in, in Game of Thrones when Cersei's like, oh, you would do well in the capital when she's talking to Sansa. Like, we're down in the capital. They have the finest dressmakers, and it's it's more in vogue, I guess you can say. But up north, it's just kind of drab and, and more primal. But um, that's what I get between, or at least, I mean, the way that Rainer wears her hair. It's, it's you know, it's up. It's, it's again, it's more fashion forward. But Bela just has her down like uh like Wayne is. But it, it's clear that Bela decided to model herself after her mother, whereas Raina probably models herself more after Rhaenyra, since she's uh she's living with Rhaenyra. And uh yeah, but uh both girls, they don't mention it here, but both girls are dragon riders at this point. But we get Vaymond. He's ready to go. This is the moment he's been waiting for like six fucking years. Imagine Vaman haunting Rainies and Bela for, for six years on Driftmark. Like there's there's a reason why he chose to stay instead of go with his brother to fight, to fight alongside his brother. As I said last episode, like the reason Vaman is so salty and chose violence at the funeral was because 
with Elena gone, and if Coralise dies, Driftmark passes to him. And because Corliss is is his own blood, Corliss is the older brother, he's probably going to die before Vaiman. So Vaiman's like, all right, when he dies, it passes to me. And he's like, we all know Luke isn't a Valerian. He has his speech prepared for Rainey's and says, I speak the truth, Rainey's, and you know it. He says, I loved my brother, but Corliss's ambitions has brought down calamity after calamity on this house. My brother only cares for the history books, but what of the Valerian line? Is it to be snuffed out, supplanted by the pups of House Strong? He says, Driftmark is mine by all rights, and although I should like your support, I do not need it. Okay, we're going to touch on this in a second. Although I, I should like your support, I do not need it. The winds have, shif- have shifted. The crown has good reason to take his side, and says, it's not the king who sits the Iron Throne these days, it's the queen. First of all, first of all, Corliss built that house from the ground up. It was the sea snake in his nine voyages that made House Valerion the richest house in all Westeros. So like, put some motherfucking respect on Corliss's name. But... Not sure if y'all picked up on this, but these aren't the words of Vaymond. Okay, I'm sure Vaymond obviously feels this way, but these are Otto's words. Okay, over the last six years, Otto's probably been sending ravens to Vaymond, as Otto is wont to do. This is how Otto wins wars, right? By letter. He's been, he's been clearly sending letters telling Vaymond to, look, be patient. Your time's going to come, man. Like when Corliss will die, he'll probably die in the Stepstones. He's getting too old for that shit. When Corliss dies, we'll get you on that Driftwood throne, right? So the second you hear of Corliss being injured, captured, or dead, like send me a raven, send, sail to King's Landing, and while the king is in bed, I'll grant you that seat on his behalf. And I think Rainey's and Bela, I think they both picked up on the fact that this was Otto speaking through Vaymond here. Vaymond is, he's speaking the truth, right? But one that Rainey's instantly recognizes as, okay, like, this sounds more like Otto than, than, than Vaymond. Because think to, th- think to you in the courtyard when she tells Rhaenyra that the high towers land their first blow tomorrow. Like, she knew this was Otto's plan. But we uh, we cut to Dragonstone. Like we fly over the castle at Dragonstone, over to the volcano, which I thought was sick. We see Damon spelunking down and open oh, an opening in the mountain. At first, I thought it was like a vagina in New Window, since Damon was declared the Lord of the Narrow Sea back in his glory days, right? And we talked about how that Narrow Sea could have also been a metaphor for <laughs> for Rhaenyra when she was still a virgin. I think that was episode three. But yeah, I thought I thought it was like, oh shit, that's like that's like sexual innuendo there. He's getting deeper into that. <laughs> so I don't want to talk about that shit. <laughs> but uh, but he makes it down. He finds a xenomorph looking clutch of slob and goo, and he rips it open to find a dragon egg. Uh, he pulls it out. It makes his way back down the mountain to meet with the dragon keepers. And Damon's actually really excited about this. Damon hasn't been excited about anything this entire series, but he's excited about this. He says Cyrax has brought a fresh clutch. Uh, And I I don't think these are Danny's dragons, maybe, but remember Danny's eggs 
are thought to be from Dreamfire's clutch since she looks like she could be an ancestor of Drogon and Viserion and Rhaegal. And the fact that, you know, Danny was a dreamer herself on brand for Dreamfire being the dragon that lays uh, those three dragons of Danny's. But he's like, I got three eggs, guys. Not one, not two, but look, fucking three. Let's go. He's like a little boy, right? Like all over again. I think this is like the Valerian in him. As we've said many times on this podcast, Damon's the most Valerian of the Targaryens that are left. He hands them over to the dragon keepers to put in the warmer so that the thick goo pustule thing that keeps the eggs warm. Um, I, I, I guess I guess the, the warmers imitate that like thick goo that keeps the, the eggs warm. But yeah, so that's that's the mechanism there. But the the dragon keepers, um, they tell Damon, Bayella, Bayella, I just did it again, man, Bayella, that Bayla wrote her father a letter. It arrived from Driftmark. I don't know why Bayla didn't just fly to Driftmark to tell them herself. Instead, she just sent a letter by Raven. I mean, it probably arrived the same day since it's a stone's throw away from Dragonstone. They're right next to each other. But her letter says, Father, I write with news of Uncle Vayman, who sails this moment for King's Landing. He plans to approach his grace the king on matters of succession rights in the sanctity of blood. He wishes for the Driftwood throne to pass to him. This is by his rights and that he is the only unattained choice, Bela. So Bela basically acting as a spy for Damon on Driftmark. Because we learn Rainey's thinks Damon and Rainier had something to do with Lanor's murder. So so through this letter, you know, you also learn that not only is Bela spying spying for her father, but Corlys never told Rainey's about the plan. Or maybe Corlys didn't didn't even know that Rainier and Damon staged Lanor's death. So it's interesting and, and it really confused me actually because last week I was dead set on them being in on that whole that whole uh that whole plan but to me because to, like to me it made a lot of sense and Rainy is not knowing they didn't make as much sense to me if I'm being honest but yeah so Bela acting as a spy for Damon for daddy but uh Rainier walks in and Chase is taking his high valerian Duolingo lessons and uh Maester Girardi or Girardis or something like that I forget his name he's uh he's teaching he's not only teaching Jace High Valerian but he's teaching him the history of the Targaryens in High Valerian so so this shows us right off rip that Jace is ambitious as hell he's going for both the history and the language of his forebears and it's also Impressive that the Maester himself knows High Valerian. I didn't know Maesters knew High Valerian. Maybe there's some restricted section in the Citadel with uh, ancient Valerian texts, or maybe this Maester was assigned to the Targaryens when he was just a scribe and learned to speak it fluently. It's unusual, but if you're going to be a Maester of Dragonstone, I guess you would have to learn. It's probably a Dragonstone thing, right? Like, and, and, and no other Maester knows it. it that, would, that would be my guess. So no restricted section in the Citadel scene. Right? Hashtag Maester Conspiracy. Although, I mean, language is a weapon. Right? 
when we think about the Maester conspiracy, language is a weapon, and the Maesters, they don't fight with force. They fight through knowledge and intelligence. And if the Maesters could understand High Valerian, they could access information that is kept from them. So, who knows? Pretty cool to think about, regardless. But we're inside the, the castle. Rhaenyra walks in, hand to tummy. She's pregnant again. At this point, you think, oh shit, Damon put a baby in her. But you learn later on that they're on baby three. So, uh, yeah, so Aegon third and Viserys II, and uh, in Rhaenyra's tummy right now is uh, baby, baby Visenya. So, yeah, um, Jace can't roll his R's, just like me last episode. I could not, I could not roll my R's last episode, but they're still teaching him, and he's still struggling with it, even at the age that Rhaenyra was, when she could speak fluently. Right, remember it was, it was described as, or it's described in the book as Rhaenyra's love language with Damon. But this is shorthand for the show showing us that Jace is still struggling, and maybe he's not as smart as his mother, but he's still as ambitious as her. Obviously, his father is Breakbones Harwin Strong, which I'm still on the fence about. I mean, that's what they're telling us. That's what you know we infer from the show, but I think he's still Kristen's. I'll die on that hill. Look, he's the one with the flowing black hair, like Kristen. Luke is the one with the curls, like Harwin. So if he is Kristen's son, I mean, it makes this even more obvious uh, that he can't put, you know, put a thumb on a high Valerian uh, because Kristen wasn't highborn. So he didn't have that in his blood. Not only is, isn't he of Targaryen blood, but he wasn't even born highborn. So, yeah, but if uh, if if Harwin is if he is Harwin's son, Harwin wasn't exactly known for his brains. He was known for being big and strong and, and physically imposing. And the smarts of Lionel passed to Laris. So I wonder if that's the subtext here, with uh, with Jace struggling to learn High Valerian. But look, to Jace's credit, kid ain't giving up. Love this kid. Rhaenyra's like, take a break. You won't learn it all in one day. He's like, no, I have to learn this. He says a king should honor the traditions of his forebears, which tells us that despite knowing he's a bastard, Jace has embraced being a Targaryen, not a strong. Another interesting thing I noticed about Jace, I don't know if you guys picked up on it, but was his body language. Um, this is probably a choice made by the Hector, the actor, I was about to say, I was about to combine the actor's name with actor, Hector, the actor, Harry uh, Colette. But Jace always seems to be looking down, shoulders forward, right? So I think that's to show us, even though he's chosen to go all in on being a Targaryen, he's still self-conscious about being a bastard, which obviously makes him work harder and longer to live up to the name. And I think they do a good job at showing you it showing you that this episode that this kid has a good heart Rhaenyra raised her boys right we talked about we talked about in the last few episodes Rhaenyra learned the love of, of a parent from Viserys so we can see here she's continued to pass that on to her boys over the years raising them very differently than how Allison is raising her children but it's interesting because you would expect, based on their reputations, that Rhaenyra's kids would be more devil-may-care, 
because of how she was as a kid. And Allison's kids would be more like her. Obedient, royal, but it's actually the opposite. Allison's kids are more like Rhaenyra was when she was a kid. (laughs) And Rhaenyra's kids are more like Allison when she was a kid. So that's a clever choice made by the writers. It's not, not something in Fire and Blood, but I think it's I think it's a really dope choice. But yeah, so um, we have Jace here. He's he's reciting something in in High Valyrian. It's some lore that I actually found really really interesting because it's never in the books. Jace is he's talking in High Valyrian. He's talking about Aegon, uh, how he arrived on the Blackwater Rush, which is where um, King's Landing is where they um he landed um and he built the Aegon Fort, which is the fort that was settled on the land that is known today as King's Landing. But um Aegon ordered the trees should be killed. Felled, Rhaenyra says. Felled. It is a related word. But uh this probably flew over everybody's head. It it, it flew over my head on the first watch. She says felled. So I'm thinking, okay, like trees, werewoods where woods are of the north. What's the north? Winterfell, felled, fell. What did Aegon dream of? A long winter, winter, felled, winter fell. And I'm like, okay, like Winterfell. So maybe Aegon, maybe Aegon was mag- like magically attuned to the trees and realized that the weirwoods were, I don't want to say evil, but not on his side. And Again, this is, you know, Aegon potentially misinterpreting his dreams just like Viserys does, right? The entire Targaryen line of dreamer kings, there haven't been many, just as Viserys said. But the entire line of dreamer kings are probably responsible for the rise and the fall of the Targaryens. And that's what I'm gathering here. Because, I mean, look... Aegon, we know Aegon misinterpreted the Song of Ice and Fire. We know he misinterpreted that dream. And we know Viserys is misinterpreting dreams. Two kings. Rise of the house and fall of the house. So, so you know, quick aside there. I thought it was pretty interesting. But Damon walks in. And Rhaenyra tells Jace to take Joffrey. And baby Joffrey looks so cute. Six years have passed. So he'd be about six years old. Six, six and a half. Um... Damon hands Rhaenyra Bale's letter. He's like, you know, ha- has has Vaemon made common cause with with Otto Hightower yet? And Rhaenyra says that that's what she fears. Like she's she's more political savvy at this point. She's more high minded now, of course, being with Damon. So you know, she she goes like, this isn't about Driftmark, okay? This is about me. This is about Jace. This is about Luke. And they're gonna try to use this. They're gonna try to put Vaemon on. <laughs> This is like the first ship that falls. They're going to put Vaemon on the Driftwood throne. They're going to use that to prove Jace, Luke, and myself are all Ill- illegitimate and take the throne away from me. We have to go to King's Landing. Otherwise, we're fucked. And this is where they confirm to us that, okay, Rainey's thinks they had Lanor killed so they could marry. And yet, Damon says she's still taking Bela to Ward. She says, what choice do we have? And Damon puts his hand on her belly, basically saying, like, there was no words, exchange of words here. He was basically saying, this is your choice right here. Okay, your family, that's your choice. And says to King's Landing. So we cut to Blackwater Bay. 
and Rhaenyra and Damon, they've been they, they've actually been using Viserys's pleasure boat. I don't know if the uh, pleasure barge or something like that. I forget the exact term you use for that type of like like casual luxury boat that you use. It's not a warship, but they've been using that all these years since he's so unfit to travel. You know, he probably gave it to them to travel back and forth, hoping they would tra- travel back and forth. Oh, that's probably what happened. He probably gave he probably like gave it to them so they had an excuse to come back and forth although yeah i mean they could come on dragon they can fly on dragon but just another uh another way for them to if their dragons are away just being dragons they still had a way to come see him which is all the more sad that they never did but um again no dragons here traveling by boat probably a good thing right you show up on these proceedings on, on dragon back it looks more like an act of war so it looks more like, okay, we came to fuck shit up if things don't, don't go our way. So they take the boat instead, which I think was a, the proper choice. Plus, you know, they would have, they'd have to strap baby Aegon and Viserys into like a Westeros baby Bjorn for like the entire flight. But at this point, we still don't know that they have uh, two other kids. We just think she's pregnant. But um, they're back in the Red Keep. Nobody comes to greet them. As is, you know, custom when high lords and princes and princesses and kings and queens are to show up at a royal house. Never mind the the red keep itself. Uh, it's clearly a dig from Otto. He knew they were coming. You know, he would he would have known as soon as they, as, as soon as the guards alerted him that they saw sails on the horizon from the um, from the. From where drift, uh, driftwood, from where Dragonstone comes from, but Lord Caswell is the only one to greet them, and he shows up late. But this was our guy I mentioned back in episode six that he would come back and play a role. He was the dude that congratulated uh, Rhaenyra and Lenor on her walk up the first flight of stairs after giving birth to Joffrey. Um, they walk inside. Sex tapestries are gone. Targaryen sigils are gone. Allison has them replaced with the faith iconography of the seven-pointed star, right? Like the Red Keep no longer looks like the Red Keep. So it's not the Red Keep anymore. It's the Green Keep. And as soon as I saw that seven-pointed star, I thought of Cersei. And I think this was probably the intention of the show. But... It also makes sense because the high towers are from Old Town, and they're tight with the Faith. They're tight with the Maesters of the Citadel, so it does it does it does make sense. But this feels more like the Game of Thrones Red Keep, which now makes me sad because I love the look and the feel of a Targaryen castle. It was bustling with people, right? It just had a good energy about it, especially during peacetime. But at least we still have like the red sort of like tinge in the stone still like the stones haven't lost their color just yet you know by the end of game of thrones or even by the beginning of game of thrones that that red has has bled off that bled off those stones and it's just like more of like a yellow but the seven pointed star is now above the throne it's it's above the king's seat at the small council and uh we see allison she has her hair pulled back another visual reminder of cersei when she kept her hair short after her walk of shame during her reign, she's like, fuck it, I'm just going to keep it short. Fuck these bastards, right? Whatever. So 
from this, we can see that Allison, she's changed. Okay, she's changed just by the way she does her hair. Rhaenyra's hair, still the same. Long and flowing with braids, just as it was when she was a teenager. But we meet the small, the new small council, Lord Jasper Wilde, otherwise known as the Dick in the books. Lord Beesbury, still holding it down. He's like Pycelle, man. Guy just refuses to die. Just probably he's probably in perfect health. Grandmaster Orwell, I think it is. I forget, I forget this dude's name. I forget the maester's name just because I fucking hate them. But this guy, I mean, this guy doesn't seem as bad as Malos. But Tywin Lannister, master of ships. Tywin's hair is slicked back like Otto's. All their wardrobes match Otto's, showing us that this is Otto's small council now. And he's the one that's, that's actually ruling. But since Rhaenyra and Damon we're not met by a party proper. They just sort of like slunk into the castle unannounced and head up to the king's chambers. And and a guard alerts Allison of this and she looks nervous. And we get Rhaenyra and Damon entering Viserys' chambers. Incense are burning. Mentioned two episodes ago that they had the incense burning be- behind Viserys in the small council because dude is just rotting away. And the smell has to be unbearable. But cobwebs all over his model of old Valeria. Nobody taking care of the room or even dusting it. If you if you pay close attention, you'll see a, stat, a little statue of the pink tread on his Valeria model. I thought that was funny. But maybe like poking fun at, at Amond. Or or maybe, <laughs> maybe Aegon had that made for him. I don't know. But uh, Rhaenyra walks in. She walks in first. Damon holds off for a second, collecting himself for what he's about to see. Like the state of Viserys really affects Damon here. He really loves his older brother. And, you know, she pulls back the the curtain and walks in and we get our first look at Viserys. Get a first look at our king looking mighty mighty frail. Uh, He's having trouble breathing. Has one eye can barely see out of the other he's hopped up on milk of the poppy to control the pain the only problem is when he's doped up on poppy dude can't have a conversation but you know this isn't a problem for Otto. you know he's he's essentially drugging the king so he can't make decisions and Otto can rule in his place also he probably wants to keep the king alive long enough so that he can install powers that be, like Vaymond, into power. So those people will be loyal to him when the time comes to choose sides and when he renounces Rhaenyra by law. But yeah, Viserys, he's basically in a poppy coma. Damon walks in. He can't bring himself to even look at his brother, but he eventually does. And the shot of Rhaenyra with the light from the window at her back looking over Viserys looked like a Renaissance painting. I'm pretty sure that's what the intention there. They were going for that. She says, Father, I'm here with Damon. And Viserys breathes a sigh of relief and calls his name, Damon. Damon. And he says it's been so long. And... You can tell Rhaenyra and Damon they're ashamed they haven't 
visited. You know, if they only knew his condition would have reached this level, I'm sure they would have. But who knows? Damon tells Viserys that Corlys was gravely wounded in the Stepstones and that there is a petition to decide upon the succession of the Driftwood throne. And, uh, you know, Viserys says, look, Allison and Otto, they see to all that shit now. They see to all that business. And Damon presses him. He's like, listen, brother, like, you have to back us up on this. You have to back up Luke as Corlys's successor. And look, Viserys, he, our boy, he's just out of it. He's just out of it. And I, lo- I loved Emma in the scene and in every scene. But here, you can see the joy on her face when she re- when Rhaenyra, Rhaenyra wishes to introduce Viserys to his grandsons. And, uh, you know, while she's grabbing the kids, the camera just holds on Viserys and he's panting and he's restless. The poppy wearing off and he looks up and he sees Damon and says, Damon. And Damon's just looking at what his brother has become and he has no words except brother. And Rhaenyra comes over, introduces baby Aegon. This is Aegon the third. And then introduces Viserys the second. And look, if, if you've ever seen a loved one, especially an elder, laid up in a hospice or a hospital just waiting to die, you know there's no greater joy than seeing a newborn grandchild or a young one just running around among you. And that's what's, that's what's going on here. And I think Patty played it brilliantly. Very, very accurate. And I'm sure he took some of his own personal stuff into, into this, um, this scene for this episode as well. But, um, yeah, yeah, um, Oh, quick aside, you know, with the birth of Aegon, the Aegon the Third and Viserys the Second, well, I guess through them, uh, Rhaenyra and Daemon, they're actually the great grandparents of the Three Eyed Raven through Viserys the Second. So Viserys the Second, the baby that Rhaenyra is holding right now, he has a kid. And, you know, he has he's a bunch of kids, but one of them ends up being a bastard. And that bastard turned out to be Brendan Rivers, who became the Three-Eyed Raven. And Viserys uh, II's second son was Aemon the Dragon Knight Targaryen. And you know Aemon from Game of Thrones. He was the maester at Castle Black. Um, when when John comes on, on him, he's like, who are you? So, yeah, Maester Aemon. Straight, uh, he's the son of, uh, the baby that Rhaenyra is holding right now. But, uh, we get a line ripped from, straight from the page when Rhaenyra presents Viserys II to Viserys I. He says, Viserys, that's a name fit for a king. And Rhaenyra chuckles. And Viserys, he gets visibly shaken and you know, tell he's he's getting weaker by the second and tells Damon to get his tea. And the way Patty drinks the tea and the way he swallows it, exactly how my grandfather in his last days would sip and swallow his fluids and, and breathe out as he's doing it. 
like he was on dialysis and so it's it's almost like a, a mucus type of breathing and i thought it was very accurate to how it is in real life but damon's suspicious of Otto. uh he looks into the cup and he smells it to see if there's anything other than poppy in there he kind of he kind of turns to rainier kind of to signal to her like this might be more than just milk of the poppy but we cut to Talia. Uh, she brings Diana before Allison. We're in Allison's chambers now. Allison is told that there was an incident in the prince's apartments. And just another quick aside here. The woman that plays Talia is actually one of the producers on the show. So that's why she's getting all the screen time. But look, I, I want to be really sensitive as to what's going on here. Just as to not trigger anybody who's had to unfortunately go through this. Go through what Diana is going through. Look, Diana's de- she's devastated. Okay, this actress she did a phenomenal job with what her role required her to do. Like this actress, she looks like she's fourteen. So to ask somebody that young to reenact what they would feel after something like this happens is a lot. But I'm sure they handled it with care and gave her all the time she needed. But basically, Aegon grab this this servant girl diana from behind and based on how she's reacting right now we can infer what what happened at first allison she looks empathetic and this must have been one of those scenes where olivia cook said like she fucking hates allison but uh she tells uh diana tells her i won't tell anyone your grace i swear and allison fetches a bag of gold and gives it to her and she's like look i know you won't tell anybody Allison doesn't believe her. Like, she's told three people already, right? She, she's like, okay, yeah, I know you won't tell anybody, but you know, here's some gold. I, I, I believe you, though. I believe you. She's basically victim-blaming right here, right here. She's like, she says, you know, it was just the two of you, right? Are you sure it wasn't you who initiated? That's basically what she's saying right now. Are you sure it wasn't you who initiated? Trying to plant that idea in her head. Get her to second-guess her own, her own judgment. And then Talia gives her the moon tea. They hold on the color, they hold on the pour, which is interesting because of the color and the texture of the tea. Now, there's a big divide in the fandom right now on this scene. Was the moon tea poisoned or was it not poisoned? At first I thought it was. Okay, so I was I was one of those people that at first I thought she was gonna poison her. And yeah, I mean, I saw in, in uh, a still image of next week's episode, and I think, okay, it, it led me to think, okay, maybe it was just Moon Tea. Look, there's a few ways you can interpret the scene, okay? Allison gives her the gold. She's, Diana's visibly nervous to drunk, drink to drink the tea, okay? But her she hands her the gold to get her to drink the tea. And let's just say that tea is laced with poison, and you can even hear Diana's throat after she drinks it. It's like, it's almost like a burping sound. If you guys caught that, it's like a burping sound, almost like that shit wants to come back up, like it doesn't belong in the body, which I thought was a clever audio clue. It's very very subtle, but it's why at first I thought she poisoned her because if Allison po- if she poisoned her, Allison doesn't lose anything. If she lets her go with the gold, option two is to have Laris take care of it. And there's uh, always the possibility of Laris, she slips through Laris's, I want to say crack, that's gross. (laughs) 
she slips through Iris's fingers and gets away. But yeah, that's another option. And like option three is that, okay, it really is moon tea. And Diane is sent home. And then we see Talia, you know, later in the episode inform Masaria later later on that Aegon probably had his, you should probably tell Masaria, look, Aegon had his way with the serving girl. And what happens then is, okay, Masaria goes to find this girl before Laris does and uses her as a bargaining chip for Damon and Rhaenyra to play both sides. But to me, that one's a little far-fetched. And I don't think with the hair up and dribbed up with the seven-pointed star that Allison is going to let this girl live and have a bastard for a grandchild after calling Rhaenyra into question for all those years for having bastards. I, 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 that's what led me to believe that she poisoned Diana. But the other option, again, this is probably like option four, and this is probably the most probable option I would think is that, okay, it was just moon tea and they put her in the black cells anyways. So instead of like sending her home off with gold, they, again, Allison gives her the gold to get her to drink the tea. She drinks the tea. She takes the gold back, and then they put her in the black cells. We saw the black cells from a few episodes ago when Larison goes down to uh, cut some tongues, right? But either way, the result is Diana either lives or she dies. And if she lives, she either has Aegon's bastard or she doesn't. We'll see what happens. But remember... Allison, last episode, when she said to Rhaenyra, you know, where is duty? Where is sacrifice? If Allison poisoned Diana, and remember, poison is a woman's weapon in this world, she did it for duty, and Diana was a sacrifice. But look, Allison, otherwise, she's extremely troubled by what she's doing. But just to wrap the scene up, like, I don't think they show us Diana without consequences for Aegon's actions. And that can mean we see another bastard in the show coming very, very soon. And we can even possibly see Diana again. Still stuck down in like maybe the Black Cells. But we cut to Aegon's apartments and he's sleeping nonchalant about what he just did. Allison slaps the shit out of him. And here we see the contrast between Jason and Luke. Jason and Luke, they take their role seriously. You see later on, Jason and Luke actually treat women with respect. And Aegon's an R-word, man. Like, and he's probably been doing this for some time because Allison's like, how can you keep carrying on like this? So that, infer that, that tells us this isn't the first time he's done this. And... She, you know, she slaps him and says, you're no son of mine. And this is the line we hear from Tywin after T Tyrion puts a bolt in his chest. Right? Or an arrow. It's a bolt, arrow, whatever. No, it is a bolt. It's a crossbow. Oh, it's not a bolt. No, it wouldn't be a bolt. It's a crossbow. So, arrow. Um, But Aegon, he gets up, fucking says this pitiful, woe is me speech. He's like, no matter what I do or how hard I try, you and father... Allison rolls her eyes. She knows this kid is lazy as fuck and arrogant and puts in no effort. He's just trying to make up excuses right now for how he is the way he is. 
look, last episode, I felt bad for this kid, as you probably remember. I talked up a whole game about how Allison and Viserys and Otto neglect him, which they do, but this kid's now a man grown, and he's just making the worst choices, and now with Jace growing into what a man should truly aspire to be, nah, fuck this kid. He can keep his excuses. But Helena comes in and says, you know, have you seen Diana? She's supposed to get the children dressed. And then, okay, this is this is another clue where, like, this is a clue number two where I thought Allison poisoned her. So she rushes over to, she rushes over to Helena to give her a big hug. And it's, that hug is like, I'm sorry. I, the hug is just like, uh, that's like a, I'm sorry I killed your best friend hug. That's what that is. Or it could be, again, like, I'm sorry this happened to your friend and we put her in the black cells. That could be that type of thing as well. But Helene and Diana, they were probably close, right? Aegon, as we learn later on the episode, Aegon's always ignoring her. So Diana was probably the only one that Helena had to talk to, which is, again, is very sad for Helena. But we cut to Rhaenyra and Damon waiting on Alicent and Viserys' chambers. Before Allison walks in, Rhaenyra's telling Damon, you know, maybe we should consider, or maybe we should consult Maester Gerardus back on Dragonstone, right, about what the tea looked like, what it smelled like. So that lends me to believe they've been doping Viserys with more than just milk of the poppy. Maybe, maybe shade of the evening, but okay, maybe not because shade of the evening, shade of the evening is blue. And Damon looked in the cup and he would have obviously seen it was blue and called it, called it out. But, you know, if, if it was milk of the poppy, it would be like a thick white. And yeah, so honestly, like, okay, 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 okay. Okay, let me backtrack a second. This is live pod- podcasting. So milk of the poppy is thick white. The drink Allison gave Diana was like a thick white, right? Could have been like a dream wine slash milk of the poppy to drug her, to put her to sleep, and then put her in the black cells. And that's how they, how they deal with it. But dream wine isn't as strong as milk of the poppy. Like poppy is an opioid that puts you in a high state. Dream wine, it just helps you fall asleep. So, but that drink was thick white. It was like a milk, it looked like more like a milk of the poppy than like, um, what was it? Uh, moon tea, moon tea. Listen, we're, we're all on Diana watch right now. Hashtag Diana watch. If she doesn't come back, we know Allison spiked the moon tea. Like, this is how deep I get with this shit. And I think Ryan Condal he goes deep with this too, obviously, because in the books, nobody describes the color or the texture of moon tea. It's not in the wiki either. So if we had that answer, if we, if we knew the color and the texture of what moon tea really looks like, we could definitively say that it was moon tea. But since we don't, and it's not even in the fucking wiki, and with what with how they wrote that scene for Allison and how Olivia Cook uh, plays it, it opens it up for interpretation on what actually happened to Diana and what Allison actually gave her. So that's just how deep this writing gets. It's it's so good. It's so good. 
But Allison comes in and Rhaenyra cuts that conversation short. And Rhaenyra co- covers up her scar when Allison looks down at it. Damon's like, why wasn't there anybody out front to meet us? And Rhaenyra's like, shush, darling. Like, they have many things to do. Like, it takes a it takes a, a whole, you know, it takes a lot to rule a king to run a kingdom. It's like a backhanded compliment. And I thought Emma and Matt play off each other really well in this episode. I thought the chemistry was shaky last episode, but this one I thought was far better, far better. And I love the both of them together. Allison says, I don't rule. Me and my father just do the will of the king. And she leans into her position here a little bit. And she leans into the seven pretty hard. She's she's probably fond of the seven. And she probably devoted herself to the seven through Otto, maybe. And the relationship with the Maesters. Like maybe, okay, maybe it was Otto's plan to make her even more obedient and restrict her by the laws and judgment of the gods as now she can think freely and do as she pleases as queen, right? Maybe this is like to sort of like, like put the shackles on her a little bit and to narrow her focus and narrow her judgment into like the tunnel of the faith. You know what I mean? So like, she's not free to like go left or go right. She can only go straight. If something pressing comes up, Otto can be like, what would the gods think? Right. Or, on the other hand, she could be doing it to absolve herself of things Otto made her do as a child. Either way, again, something to think about with this show. But I think Allison, I think she means well here when she says, you know, Rainier, look, if you would see him without this milk of the poppy, it would, would fucking devastate you. And I think she means it. And I think Otto is doing it for other reasons. I think Otto is... is drugging Viserys and, and giving him milk of the poppy every every hour or so for, for other reasons, but I think Allison really means it and really cares for Viserys and he doesn't she doesn't want him in pain. Allison, she's always been faithful to Viserys. Yeah, she didn't choose this marriage, but Viserys was always kind to her. And remember when she was a child, they bonded over loss and books and he never gave her a reason to hurt him. And then Damon calls her out for the removal of the sex tapestries and the Targaryen statues for the seven-pointed star. Allison says, look, seven serves as a guide and to remind us of a higher authority. is like, which authority will judge the fate of me and my sons when my father dies? And here we get Allison saying, look, the father is just and will forget the ac- accusations you've just uh, said I've just heard in this room today. So yeah, whether by auto or her own choice, Allison is full on in the faith to a point where she's going to use it as an excuse to hide behind her decisions in the future with absolutely zero doubt. Like that, that will happen. She's going to hide behind the faith and she's going to use the faith to reaffirm her decisions and the positions she's going to, and the stance she's going to take to keep, you know, Eamon or Eamon to keep Aegon Aegon, to keep Aegon um, on the throne, to keep the high towers on the throne, essentially. But we cut out to the courtyard. Jace is all exci- excited about being back home. Um, he's probably thinking about Harwin, right? They Both Jace and Luke associate the courtyard with Harwin. Again, notice how Jace walks shoulders forward, right? Head down, even as he's smiling, right? Luke says, everyone is looking at us. 
She says, it doesn't matter what they think. Very Rhaenyra line. She said that to him when he was a boy, when Harwin left. She's like, you know, you're a Targaryen. That's all that matters. So he's, you know, communicating this to, to his little brother. Again, just being a good, just being a good kid, man. But they rush over to see the fight. Kristen's training with somebody, and we know it's Aemond, but Luke, and, Luke looks at Jace, and they're like, holy shit. Eye patch, you know, blonde hair. This is fucking Aemond. And these dudes, you know, they're out here training with real weapons. Maybe it's for show, maybe it's not, but Aemond looks like he's been doing this shit long enough to where he anticipates Kristen's every move, and he does this sweet parry maneuver with a backside swing of the sword and best Kristen. And Ewan Mitchell's face, man, that casting here is just brilliant. That guy has the face of a villain. I don't think I don't think he blinks once this episode. Maybe he blinks a few times at the end, but up until the up until the end, he doesn't blink. Not once. He says, I don't give a shit about Tony's. I, I can't fucking do that. I can't do that. I don't give a shit about the way he has his mouth. His his mouth is like so parsed up. <laughs> let me let me try to do it. Hold on. I don't give a shit about Tony's. I don't give a shit about Tony's. I I don't give a shit about Tony. I don't. I can't fucking do it. But look, Kristen is gassed here. Eamon didn't even break a sweat. Remember, Kristen was at one time the finest knight in the Seven Kingdoms who saw a battle. Harwin never saw a battle. Okay, he was just known for beating the shit out of everybody who stepped to him. But Kristen actually saw a battle. And that's why Rhaenyra chose him, among other reasons. <laughs> Guy's good looking. But Eamon's looking at Kristen when he calls out Jason Luke. Uncles, have you come to train? I can't fucking do Eamon's voice, man. It's so unique. This guy's a fucking demon. He's a demon. But it's an interesting parallel between Jason and Eamon here. Like, while Jace, he's been trying to improve his mind and make himself ready to rule, Eamon, on the other hand, he's taken the other path, and he's dedicated all his time to training, which was his weakness. Despite having only one eye, he bests Sir Kristen Cole. Cole was swinging that mace with everything he had, so he wasn't pulling his punches. But the implication here you're supposed to get is like, oh shit, okay. This is all Eamon has been doing for six years is training with Cole to the point where he can read him like a book. Yeah, we love dunking on Krispy Kreme, but he, that dude was a legit warrior. So Eamon beating him in the courtyard thats with real fucking weapon, by weapons, that's a problem. That's a problem. And there's some North there's some Norse mythology thing going on here with Eamon. Like I know George likes to borrow from a variety of different like religions and all that shit. Like in, in the case of like Norse Norse mythology, there's this thing where like if you give up an eye to gain if you give up an eye, you gain sight and knowledge. Like that type of deal. Like Odin gave up his eye to gain true sight. So that's like some subtext here for Eamon's character as crazy as he is. But the gates open, Luke turns around, and here comes Vaymond, ready to choose violence yet again. Eamon smiles, 
I'm sure he's clever enough to know they're going to alley-oop Veyman on the Driftwood Throne and disinherit Luke. But you notice how every scene is like so calculated? Like you think it's, this scene starts off, right? And you think it's a Jason Luke scene, remembering the good old days with dad in the courtyard. The scene develops for Amond, then it carries on for Luke when Veyman arrives. Like how they develop these characters and then interweave them at such calculated moments, that's what makes Game of Thrones so special. So we cut to the small council and Otto is reassuring Allison that what they're about to do is for the good of the realm. And you can see she's uncomfortable with this decision. She says, Corliss may still be alive. Like, what are we doing? Veyman says they must be prepared if he doesn't survive. And I, I, Otto isn't wrong here when he, like, Otto isn't wrong, okay, when he says, look, do you really want a child at the head of the greatest fleet in Westeros? Right? But, like, he's using war as an excuse to move Allison to support the decision. But war is so far off, it doesn't even matter. But he's, like, sort of manipulating her thinking to thinking, oh, yeah, war could come at any moment. Do I really want a kid on the on the Driftwood throne at the head of the f- fleet of Westeros? And then Veyman, he sinks that venom in when he says, look, the next Lord of the Tides will be in your debt, as will Driftmark and all of her strength. So, yeah, clear, clear plotting behind the scenes to stage a coup to put Veyman on the throne while Viserys is laid up in bed. That's what's going on here. Allison's looking for another way. She's thinking, look, if Corliss lives, he's going to want that back so he can pass it on to Luke. And that's another problem we don't want to deal with. But we cut out to the Weirwood, just outside the Red Keep. You can hear a storm off in the distance. It looks like it's fall and winter is upon them. Not a northern winter, but whatever you consider winter down in King's Landing. Now, this isn't a spoiler or anything because at this point the show will be over after the dance. But uh, after the dance ends, you know, one year later, uh, a winter does arrive in King's Landing and the winter plague strikes King's Landing the year after the dance. So I think this entire episode, there are subtle nods to that. The biggest one being at the end of the episode when Viserys dies. If you listen closely, there are like wisps of winter wind in the sound design. So I thought that was really cool. But yeah, Rainey's and Rhaenyra, you can see here, like they're both bundled up. Um, oh, I'm sorry, uh, Rhaenyra and, and Bela, they're both, uh, oh, I'm, man, I'm getting everybody's name wrong this episode. Rhaenyra and Reyna, that's that's an obvious mix up. But they're both bundled up here. So it's that that's a visual cue. Okay, it's starting to get colder now. All right, symbolism with Viserys dying. So, yeah, there was also there was also a winter during Jaehaerys's reign in 59 AC that brought a plague known as the Shivers to uh to King's Landing and that was that killed a lot of people as well. So, when kings die or I guess, you know, that was at the beginning of Jaehaerys's reign. But yeah, winter, cold weather in King's Landing, not a good sign. Not a good sign, but again, here we learn that Rainey's, she still believes that Rhaenyra had to do some had something to do with Laenor's murder. Rhaenyra swears she had nothing to do with Laenor's murder. Kind of a half truth since 
you know, he's still alive and she staged it so he could be free from the storm that's about to come. Literally. But Rainey says, look, the high terrors, they're about to fucking wreck you tomorrow. And there's no way I'm about to back you because you're about to lose. And this is sort of like Rainey's being a big sister to Rhaenyra. This is being like the this is her being the big sister Rhaenyra never had, just like she was in episode two. Remember when she gave her that talk on the balcony saying she'll never be queen because that is the order of things? Rainey's is saying, look, you're about to lose everything. And I can't afford to be on the losing side, even if it means losing Driftmark. And then Rhaenyra, she makes a final offer, like a plea. She's like, look, I will offer you, Reyna and Bela, to marry my sons. And by doing that, you can secure the Iron Throne and the Driftwood Throne all in one fell swoop, right? But you have to back Jace and Luke's claim. You have to back us. Look, your blood will pass through Luke and Reyna on the Driftwood Throne your blood will sit on the Iron Throne. So quite an offer, right? One Corliss would have surely accepted. But Rainey's like, look, I'd be killing them if I do that. Because when Viserys dies, the Hightowers, they're going to come for your boys. And if my, if my granddaughters are married to your boys, they're going to come for my granddaughters as well. And she's already lost too much at this point. She believes Lainor's dead. Lena is dead. She's already seen too much death. To bury your children and then bury your grandchildren? Is there anything worse? But I think Emma Darcy, oh, so beautiful here. So beautiful. Like that dress, the way they had their hair, so beautiful. And the way the way this was lit, I love that. You ever like, you ever go outside in the fall and it's just like, the sun's you know the sun's going down, but it's like dark and dreary and it's all cloudy and overcast, and you have this like blue sort of like lighting to yeah the atmosphere. It's sick. But this was Rhaenyra's last trump card, and Rainey's just leaves her hanging, and Rainey's tells her the truth, every word of it. And because she tells her the truth, Rhaenyra has no choice but to sneak into Viserys' chambers this same night and try one last desperate attempt to reach him. So the storm has come to King's Landing, literally. It sounds like they mix dragon roars with the crackling of lightning and thunder as it torrentially downpours outside. Definitely intentional. But yeah, Rhaenyra, she comes, she sneaks into Viserys' room Viserys thinks it's Alicent. Important for later. Rhaenyra says it's her. He's struggling to form sentences because of how much pain he's in. Plus, it's the middle of the night. He's hopped up on good poppy. The castle's asleep. And she tells him, look, the Song of Ice and Fire. Do you believe it to be true? Aegon's dream, he says. She's like, you once told me it was our duty to unite the realm against a common foe. By naming me heir, you divided the realm. I thought I wanted it. She breaks down. 
right? Any kid, any kid that naive and that arrogant would want it, right? Any like 14, 15 year old, yeah, that's my seat. The fuck, get the fuck out of here. Like you think power is easy at that age. You can just wave your hand and your will will be done. But as a teenager, you know, you think the world is black and white and it's really not until you grow up and experience what the world has to offer when you find out that there's really no such thing as good and evil. It's all murky. It's all complicated. But the burden, it's a heavy one, she says. It's too heavy. Viserys says, my only child. Completely forgetting he has four other children. Yes, four, okay? It was just confirmed like yesterday or a few days ago that Daron Targaryen, his youngest son, is down in Old Town. That was just confirmed by George R. R. Martin. He's been training to be a maester, which is interesting. Targaryen training to be a maester, hashtag maester conspiracy. I don't know how that works. But yeah, Darren's in the books. Uh, book readers, I haven't brought him up, but book readers, we have been wondering if he was going to show up in the show. Got a couple DMs asking about it, but I said he would he would show up in in season two, and they're just trying to figure out a way to fit him in. But he does play a critical role. But um, Rhaenyra says, look, if you wish me to bear it, the crown and the prophecy, then defend me, defend my children. And again, Viserys strung out, he mumbles under his breath. I can't make out what he says here. And there's no subtitles to back it up. So yeah, this is Rhaenyra. She played her last trump card. Rainey's walked away, right? So she had to play this. She had to give it one more shot. She sneaks into her father's chambers at night. He's too weak to dope up on, doped up on Milk of the Poppy to get through to her. Uh, he remembers the conversation later because we see in the last scene, he's confused, but he's carrying on with the same conversation, just with the wrong person. But to contextualize this conversation for you, Rhaenyra doesn't know if she believes in the prophecy. That's what's going on here. He once told her, many, many moons ago, right? Said that kings passed down this knowledge to kings or in her case, queens. And they only spoke about this once. It was never brought up again. So if she doesn't believe it's true, that means she'd never pass it on to Jace. She didn't pass on Aegon's dream to Jace yet. Not if she be- not if she doesn't believe it's true. Right? Too much has happened in between when she was told about Aegon's prophecy and now to prove otherwise that she is the prince that was promised. So it's understandable why she doubts it and why she doesn't believe in it. But she desperately wants to believe in it. Otherwise, she's fucked. She, doesn't, she can't make a decision. The next morning, we see the rats hanging out on Viserys' model. More rat symbolism here. There's a theory going around that Laris controls the rats and that's how he gets information, insider information in the castle. If you believe Laris is a green seer or a warg and he can see through the rats, I mean, technically speaking, he can sneak around the castle and gain insider information on his enemies to stay one step ahead. I'm not buying it. I don't know if the show goes that deep with the magic. Look, it's possible, just not probable in my opinion. That theory works works better in book form. It's kind of like it's kind of like how people are still on about Varys being a mermaid and swimming out from under the castle using the tunnels to swim across the narrow sea and into Dorne. 
Merman. <coughs> Merman. But Viserys tells Otto he wants to have supper, and Otto's like, "It's morning, Your Grace." Fucking asshole. <laughs> Viserys like, "I know you, son of a bitch. <laughs> I'm not dead yet." He's like, "Tonight, I wish to dine with all of my family." And Viserys, he refuses milk of the poppy. He's skin and bones at this point. Open wounds all over his body. He's got, you know, his left arm just above the elbow that was amputated. Remember in episode one or two, whatever, we see them putting maggots on that that forearm, that left forearm. So that was amputated. Uh, you know, he heard Rhaenyra. He heard Rhaenyra last night. Okay, he remembered Rhaenyra and Damon telling him about Vaemon's plan. Remember this for later, okay? Well, I guess in the next scene. Before last night, I mean, when Damon and Rhaenyra came to him, he heard them. He remembered Damon telling him about Vaemon's plan. So today, he's going to refuse all the milk of the poppy so he can eventually move and, and speak and form coherent thoughts. Although, with every step, he's probably dying that much quicker. So refusing milk of the poppy means he's going to be in unimaginable pain for the entire day and through that final dinner. But we cut to the throne room. Otto gives a bullshit speech about how they wish Corlys lives, but he wants to get out ahead of any succession quarrels and they must make a decision on who succeeds Corlys to the Driftwood throne. Uh, he grants Vaemon an audience of the court so he can, air quotes, plead his case. There's no pleading here, okay? Rhaenyra said as much when she was talking to Rhaenys out in, the, out, uh, in front of the werewolf. She's like, this proceeding is all a farce. It's all a formality, right? They already planned to give it to him. And we saw as much in the small council chamber with Otto, Vaman, and Allison. But the scene construction was very cool. On one side, we have the Greens, Allison, and her children. On the other side, we have the Blacks, Rhaenyra, and her children, and Damon. And Otto sits the throne, and the second he sat his ass down on the thro that throne, I got visibly angry. I got visibly angry. <laughs> but yeah, just by scene construction visually, they're showing you, okay, this is... This is you're expecting something to go down. They're setting you up to feel like as if something crazy is about to go down with the families on each side. And yeah, look, Rhaenyra is screwed here. She's about to lose to Otto sitting in the throne. You know, he says he speaks with the king's voice. So that means Allison isn't even in control. So there's really no shot for her now. It's over. It's over for Rhaenyra. Vaemon opens up and makes his case as to why the Driftwood throne is his. Rhaenyra sharply cuts him off. She's desperate at this point, right? She wants to filibuster this shit as long as she can, hoping somebody steps in to back her up that's already not on her side. Allison shuts her down, says, look, you will have your turn to Vaemon the courtesy of letting him make his case before the court. Again, just a formality, just a formality to get in here on record. And it's a total coup. It's a total coup to not only take Driftmark, but this gets Otto one step closer to renouncing Rhaenyra the second Viserys dies, which, you know, 
he he knows that today of all days Viserys refuses milk of the poppy, so he mo he thinks okay today's the day Viserys dies. This shit's this shit's all going down today. So Otto thinks he has this in a bag, but not before the doors open, the great hall, and it's our king, and one of the greatest walks of all time in entertainment history. The Kingsguard, they're so stunned, they immediately read out his titles, every single one of them. He's got his pimp cane. He's got his crown. He's walking down each step, refusing help. Jaws are on the floor. Viserys quite literally stood up for Rhaenyra. He couldn't even sit up an hour ago. And it looks like it's killing him with every step. But he's here for his daughter. And damn it, he's going to make it up those stairs to that seat. And he's going to run shit one last time for her. The music swells. And I think this is the strongest score from Ramin Jawadi since the ending of episode one when he told Rhaenyra Aegon's dream. Old Vizzy, ugly crying at this point, man. Especially when he cut to Rhaenyra watching her father literally die for her with every step. For her, for Damon, for the boys. Vesteris stops. He looks over at her, basically saying, I heard you, and I'm here for you. And he tells Otto, he will sit the throne today. Motherfucker. Music swells again. They pan over to the greens and every one of them is like, fuck, we're done. We just lost. It's over. And he walks up the steps to sit the throne. And I think the next moment made us all tear up. When he loses the crown, falls on the floor. Just something about seeing, you know, our elders or older people try so hard to do something and then they just can't quite make it. And, you know, they stop to gather themselves and regain as much power and as much focus as they can to continue. And that just pulls out your heartstrings when you see that. And this whole scene, man, we, we are rooting for Viserys. The show earned that moment. It gave us a character to root for and a character to aspire to be like in the end. This scene made me look at my elders in a different way. Like, you, you know, like you're a young kid. When you're a young kid, you just kind of write it off. Like, oh man, like they're getting old and, and growing weaker. You don't realize until you see scenes like this, it takes double, triple, quadruple the strength, both mentally and physically, to push well beyond your limits, your limited limits at that point, especially if you're sick. And that's worthy of celebrating. And it's what we do here in the scene. We celebrate the entire walk of Viserys Targaryen. And these moments don't come often, like I said, because it takes time to build towards them and earn them, which is why I'm so amazed at how incredible the response has been for Patty and Viserys in the show and 
like what the show got out of all of us within just seven hours. It's only been seven weeks, but I think the time jumps, the accelerated aging, the fact that Viserys really isn't a bad person. I just feel bad for him. You know, whether it be by poison or curse with regards to the accelerated aging, I think all of that contributed to the heightened emotions that we all felt during the scene. Plus, again, you know, seeing an old man in pain, for me at least, is one of the most difficult things you can, you can ever see. But a hand reaches down to pick up the crown that fell off Viserys' head as he just tries to gather himself. At this point, you're just so invested in him making it to that seat. And they only showed Damon once or twice, very, very briefly, this entire walk. So he's at this point, he's out of sight, out of mind, almost for the entire duration of, of the trek. But a hand picks up the crown, Viserys turns, he looks up, and it's his baby brother, Damon. All he ever wanted to do was to serve his older brother and protect him. But since Damon is the way he is, look, he put himself in a position where Viserys couldn't trust him enough to name him his hand. And Damon probably feels guilty for that. He probably feels guilty and ashamed of himself in some capacity because if he wasn't the way he is, maybe Viserys would have chosen him day one and he wouldn't end up looking like this, man. He wouldn't have gone through any of this. But Damon really does love his brother. He looks up to him in a way. He doesn't idolize him, but he looks up to him. And you can tell it's affecting him a great deal. We talked about last episode how Damon buries his grief. But the blood of the dragon runs thick. He says, come on. He's like, I got you. It helps Viserys finish his walk. And if Viserys is going to let anybody help him, it's going to be Damon. You saw how happy he was when he saw him, when, when Damon was at his bedside. He said, it's been so long. I miss you, brother. Where have you been? Like, I need you now. Now, look, you, you probably saw this moment was improvised, right? The whole crown falling off uh, Patty's head. Uh, it wasn't entirely improvised in a, in a live take, okay? Gita said that it happened during rehearsal, and they were all taken aback by how powerful it felt when Matt picked it up and, and, wa and walked him up the steps and crowned him. So they shot it both ways. They shot it with the drop, without the drop. And during the dinner scene that follows, it was originally planned that Damon had this big speech. But Gita said that it didn't feel right because there was so many people, there was too many people in the room for the speech to feel powerful and intimate enough, an intimate of a monologue between the brothers. So they felt that this scene where Damon said nothing but shows how much he loves his brother by picking up the crown and walking him, helping, helping him finish his walk, it felt more appropriate. And she said it was like a miracle and said that it happened. And watching, um, you know, watching the edit back, they were like, yeah, this is way more powerful and... I, dude, I agree. I cried like a bitch. This one hit hard, you know, especially for the brothers out there, man. Like, I have a younger brother, okay? I'm the oldest of four. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm the oldest by four years, oldest of four. Uh, I'm the oldest of three, but uh, 
yeah, like my little bro and I, we're not close, okay? There isn't a, but there isn't a single thing I wouldn't do for that kid. And no amount of time or space could ever change how I feel about my baby brother. He's always gonna be my baby brother. Like for brothers out there, like, I don't know, man, like just speaking from experience, as you grow older, like you become men, even even during teenage years, man, like, I mean, I'm just speaking from my experience. You internalize shit. You want to act like you're okay. Like everything's good. You bottle shit up. And that's exactly what Damon does with the Viserys. But no amount of time or fighting will change how Damon feels about his brother and how Viserys feels about his brother. But Damon sits him down and very carefully crowns his king. And yeah, like... This is one of Viserys' greatest mistakes as king. Going back to episode one, how Damon said, not once have you asked me to be your hand. Think about how much that must have hurt Damon. Even though he probably knew why. It still hurts him that he never even received like an invitation. Remember how he said, you know, no matter what, I would be, I would be the one to look out for you. No matter what goes down, I would always have your back. You're my brother. Yes, Damon's a murderer. Yes, he's an agent of chaos. And he does a lot of horrible shit. But he would never do that to Viserys. Remember back in episode one where he's snooping on the small council and I think it was Otto who was saying, he was like, yeah, uh, Damon, he just wants to take the Iron Throne for himself. He, and Damon just behind the wall. He's like laughing and snickering. Look, Damon, he really didn't want it. This was proof of that. This entire time, he was not out for the throne. He loves his brother. And that makes me want to rewatch the show now that I know that. Because it's unclear in the books. It's, it's, it's implied in the books that Damon is much more ambitious than how he's written and how Matt Smith is playing him. But again, Fire and Blood, it's choose your own adventure. There's no one truth. But I think the nuanced approach to writing Damon works far better this way than if you just have a brother who stands on the other side of the line and is opposed from you from day one. I think that's predictable. I think that's boring. So I'm glad Ryan Condal wrote Damon the way he did because as fucked up as he is, murdering his own wife and, you know, among many other things, you still root for the guy. You know, you're you're really not rooting for anybody on Team Green. You may, you may like Eamon's, and you may want to see Aemon do Aemon things. If it's Damon v. Aemon, 1v1, you're rooting for Damon because they've already laid the emotional foundation for you with Damon through Viserys, through his relationship with Viserys. Then Viserys goes, he, he's on the throne now, he's crowned. Damon walks back down. He goes, I must admit my confusion. Just baller, just a straight baller. I don't understand why peti why petitions are being heard over a six, or, or over a settled succession. The only person who might lend us better insight into this is the Princess Rhaenys. So he gives the floor to his cousin, the one he basically took the throne from. He didn't take it from her. I mean, he was... Say what you will about the Great Council. Um, like, the vote ended up landing on his name. And yeah, there's probably some tomfoolery behind all of that, but like, he gives it to he gives the floor to her. He's basically saying, look, like, I leave this up to you. This is your decision. Like, I may be king, but you can literally decide the fate of House Targaryen and House Valerian right now. 
What do you what do you want to do about this? This is your house. This is your bloodline. What do you want to do? So I thought that was really nice of him. Again, kind of giving it up to another person to make the decision, but look, he showed up. That's like half the battle. But you know, look, Rainey's like she's a trueborn Targaryen. Seeing her cousin on one percent battery life, like walk across that hall up to that seat. Probably it's inspiring, right? It showed the strength of the blood of the dragon. And remember, Viserys a decade ago asking Lionel, you know, Lionel, how will I be remembered? The entire final day of Viserys Targaryen is him righting the wrongs he made and going out on his own terms. He's thinking, okay, this is going to be the last time I get to make a decision as king. I'm going to go out on a good one. And you have to think laying in bed all those years melting away, he had to have thought about every decision he's ever made, especially with Emma, especially with Emma, the one that's haunted him his entire life, questioning himself. And now he has a final opportunity to set things right and cement them in stone before he goes. And Rainey's goes, look, it's ever my husband's will that Driftmark passed through Lanor to his true-born son, Lucerys Valerian. His mind never changed, nor my support of him. Now, this is the real dagger here, when she says, As a matter of fact, the Princess Rhaenyra just informed me of her desire to marry her sons Jason and Luke to Ward Corlys' granddaughters, a proposal to which I wholeheartedly agree. And I know people were like, wait, wait, what? what is the switch up? But again, Think about, you know, she she just saw Viserys, she just saw how Viserys showed up for Rhaenyra. And they're still family. At the end of the day, they're still family. Yeah, she's a Valerian, but she's still a Targaryen. And if this is indeed Viserys' will, she will see it be done. Damn the consequences to come, she'll face it. She'll face it as the Targaryens do, right? With fire and blood. So overnight, Rhaenys probably stewed on Rhaenyra's proposal and this morning, you know, she sees Viserys show out one last time for Rhaenyra. Remember back two episodes ago, or, or remember back to episode two, when she's like, okay, I know my brother. He won't name you his heir. And then we get him 20 years later. Here he is standing by his decision. And if he is that resolved by keeping Rhaenyra his heir, Rainey's is like, okay, the blood of the dragon will stand by that decision. And she gets to have one of her granddaughters be queen of the seven kingdoms. And she gets to have her other granddaughter sit the driftwood throne. And their and their blood, her blood, passes through both of them. So yeah, I'm gonna have a Valerion on the Iron Throne one day. And Driftmark is secure through her other granddaughter, through Reyna and her children. She's like, fuck yeah, I'm changing my mind. Right? She said it was a good proposal the second Rhaenyra offered it. She said, good, what a what a strong proposal or, or a desperate one. Either way, she said it doesn't matter. So Rainey's here. She ties herself to the Blacks. And whatever happens in the future, she's on board with Rhaenyra and Damon in whatever fight that comes knocking on their door. 
And it goes back to Cor- what Corliss said in episode two, a wise sailor sails into the storm or he sails around it, but he must never await its coming. Rainey's chose to head into the storm. And we literally see that storm outside this episode. So it's decided then. But not before Vayman tries to exert his will. He calls them bastards with his whole fucking chest and calls Rhaenyra a whore. A whore. And gods be damned. I will not see it ended on the account of this. Say it. Her children are bastards! And she is a whore. Damon wheels around, takes out Dark Sister, and chops his head in half, leaving the bottom of the jaw and his tongue. And the way they edited this together was sick, man. It happened so fast. Like, you knew Vayman was done. But they cut from Viserys, pulling the dagger immediately to the swing of Dark Sister, clean through the skull, not even the fucking neck spine. Like, the neck, that's easier to chop off, but the fucking skull, that's Valyrian steel for you. Cuts clean. Cuts clean. He can keep his tongue, he says. But notice when he slices his head off, if you look at Helena, she's blocking her ears. Like, literally plugging her ears for like 20, 30 seconds. She turns away. So, since Helena is magically attuned, I think this is the show showing us she can hear Dark Sister. So, Dark Sister is a Valyrian sword. Uh, Valyrian steel, right? Valyrian steel is forged in Old Valyria. And it's said that the, the steel sings. Like, not actually sings, but produces noises to those who are gifted, who can who can hear them. And the noise that Dark Sister makes are screams. And she's always screaming for blood when she is drawn from her sheath. But when she's drawn, no amount of blood will satiate her. So she keeps screaming. So Helena plugs her ears and looks away until Damon sheaths Dark Sister again. Now, some people have said that maybe she heard a prophecy or something that she didn't want to hear that was really troubling to her in the moment. I think that's very possible, but I also think it's very possible that she heard the screams of Dark Sister. That she's so magically attuned that she can hear the she can hear the, the Valyrian steel. But look, Damon baited Vayman, right? Vayman took the bait. He knows Vayman from the Stepstones, right? He knows Vayman has a temper and he can easily be baited. But Viserys falls back into his chair. Allison catches him, tells him he must take something for the pain. He's like, I must put things right. He's so hellbent on putting everything right before he goes. Otherwise, he, he, he can't go. He won't let himself go. He'll just continue to let himself melt away, wither away and live in pain until he sets it right. Again, he endures the pain to see Rhaenyra succeed him and that her he endures the pain to see her her make sure that she's safe and that her children are safe and succeed her. 
one of the most iconic scenes in Game of Thrones history. Like, think back to everybody saying, oh, Game of Thrones prequel? Nobody cares. We all know how it ends. Look at you now. Eating your words. Should have held your tongue like Vaymond. We cut to the Silent Sisters preparing Vaymond's body to be shipped back to Driftmark for burial. Rainey's is overseeing the act, I guess you can say. Uh, she pushed in all her chips, man. She look, she pushed in all her chips on Rhaenyra and Damon by backing Viserys and supporting the strong boys and and her granddaughters. But yeah, man, they they really do hold on on Vaymond's skull here, yeah. Inside the bottom of the jaw. Mr. Orwell says, it's bad luck to look upon the face of death. Randy's like, bro, I've seen I've seen more I've seen death more times than 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 I can count. And I'm about to see another one tomorrow. She knows she's gonna bury a lot more people before this is all over. She's like, I don't give a shit. And the final shot of the scene um is really cool. It's actually the final shot of Rainey's in the episode. It's a portrait shot of her, but it's actually shot in a fisheye lens that dollies in on her face, which I thought was very cool. Like you can see the warped edges of the frame. So the technical filmmaking metaphor for the Valerians, right? Fisheye lens, Valerians, rulers of the sea. I thought that was pretty neat. But it's time for Viserys' final dinner. The one he always wanted. And if Patty didn't win the Emmy... For every scene that came before this, in this episode, he won it here. Rhaenyra and Allison are on opposite sides of the king's chair in a frame that resembles artwork that's commissioned by George and his team for Fire and Blood. The painting behind them is of King's Landing, square in the middle on the back wall. Viserys is being carried in. The family stands and sits as he's placed down. Allison says her seven speech before they eat. Damon rolls his fucking eyes when she mentions, may the gods give Vaymond rest. He kind of like, <laughs> okay. Viserys toasts to Luke and Jace on their planned marriages to Reyna and Bela. And Damon's like, here, here, right? Take that, you green fucks. And then Viserys toasts to Luke, the future ward of the tides. And Rhaenyra's like, she toasts, here, here, knowing she won that battle as well. And we get Reyna supporting her young man, Luke. Look, you'll be great, she says. That's that's what that's what we men love to see from our women. Strong, badass women who are also supportive of their man. Look, love that shit. Love that for Luke. Eamon looks on, not a single fucking blink from him yet. Aegon, Aegon, why do I keep on saying Aegon, man? Aegon continues to be a little shit. Giving Jace shit for being a virgin, like he didn't just sexually assault one of his servants who's probably dead now. Bela wants to throw fists. But Jace, he keeps his cool, at least for now. He sticks he sticks up for his woman. Ladies love to see this from their mans, right? Like hold your tongue before my betrothed, Jace says. Aegon the coward, he shuts right up. And then Viserys gives what I think is the best speech in this episode one of the best speeches in Thrones and one that really moved me to tears. It both gladdens my heart and fills me with sorrow to see these faces 
around the table. The faces most dear to me in all the world. Yet grown so distant from each other in the years past. face is no longer a handsome one, <laughs> if indeed it ever was. But tonight, I wish you to see me as I am, not just a king, but your father, your brother, your husband. Sire, who may not, it seems, walk for much longer among you. Let us no longer hold your feelings in our hearts. The crown cannot stand strong if the house of the dragon remains divided. But set aside your grievances. If not for the sake of the crown, and for the sake of this old man, who loves you all so dearly. And that last part crushed my soul, the way Patty's voice cracked and got weaker as he said, this old man. And I think this is a really, this is a very real world, like, thing, occurrence, whatever. Like, when a family is divided, or spouses are fighting, and thinking about separating and they have kids, especially the grandparents, they usually step in to try and, you know, mediate or reconcile for the sake of the children, for the sake of their vows. This is very, very, um, very, I mean, it's common for this type of shit to happen. But this is Viserys' dying wish. And for a brief moment here, you know, all of, you know, three to five minutes, Anima all animosity, all anger gave way to peace. And it was nice to see everybody get along and, and smiling. Even Otto. I never thought I'd see that guy smile. Fuck him. But it's interesting because he just took a huge L, right? And I think we'll talk about this later. But he just took a huge L. And he's still smiling. And we see Helena here softens him up. Right? But for a brief moment... War is averted. Rhaenyra toasts to Alicent and her undying devotion to her father. And let's be fair to Alicent, right? She has been an excellent wife for Viserys. She can never replace Emma for him, but she always took care of him and she did her duty. And she was faithful, at least as as much as we know. Um, I still think she fucked Kristen. But Rhaenyra's, she's feeling herself here, okay? She, she just dunked on Otto and Alicent, but she's humble, in front of her father and i think she means it like surely this is all put to rest now right like this was this was father's dying wish like he walked in his pick for successor again and she's like now i hope we can go back to being sisters and allison toast to rhaenyra she's wearing a smaller 
seven-pointed star pendant right now, which maybe symbolizes she could be reverting back into who she was as a child, as a teenager, before all of this shit happened. And her hair is back down. It's not up in a power bun anymore. She raises her cup to Rhaenyra and Rhaenyra's house and says she will make a fine queen. And I think she means it. And personally, at least at this point right now, especially after today and taking care of Viserys for 20 years, dealing with Aegon's sorry ass, birthing four children, like I think she's fucking had enough at this point. And she's like, yeah, she, I think she really does mean it. And Otto's like, wait, what? <laughs> that, was, that wasn't a part of the plan. And uh, yeah, I think we get uh, we get Eamon here. He he finally blinks when he turns his eye from Luke to Jace. And speaking of eyes, yeah, Viserys he takes off his mask during his speech, and we see his his full on eye socket. So right eye completely gone. Uh, Allison and Otto they're sitting on the side of that eye. So the symbolism here is how he turned a blind eye to Otto's plan his whole life and look what that cost him right still has his left eye so he can see Damon and Rhaenyra and the boys and Reyna and Bela just fine on his left side but even as he turns his head towards Allison he still can't see her but Aegon goes over to Bela to grab the wine and provokes Jace he, Jace slams his hands down on the table Bela calms him and then fucking Aemon stands up like book readers we're just waiting for for Aemon this entire scene how is he going to fuck up this dinner? How is he going to fuck up this dinner, right? But Jace takes the high road. He gives Aegon a little shoulder fist bump. You old bastard. That's a good one, right? He doesn't want to make a scene in front of his grandfather. He is Jace the, concili the conciliator, right? He doesn't back down to Aemon or Aegon. He backs down to duty. And he toasts his uncles with a really nice speech from our boy here, right? Kill, kill them with kindness. Viserys is proud of him. Well done, my boy. We get a cryptic Helena again. Beware the beast beneath the boards. So here, the show drops a third prophecy from Helena. It could be about Laris. could be about a certain event that, as I said before, will probably break the internet. I don't want to get much. I don't want to get deep into it, but that's probably what that's about. But she stands up and, and toasts Bela and Reyna and loves seeing our girls support one another here. She takes a dig at Aegon without even realizing realizing she probably did it, right? She's again, she's full she's on the spectrum, okay? I said in in episode like five or six. Like you, you can you can hear Damon like laugh as she's saying this. Like how Aegon like ignores her, except when he's drunk, which is pretty much pretty sad to think about. Like when you think about it, like it means Aegon just uses her when he's drunk so again fucked up but yeah she finishes her speech Otto smiles and says good, good, good. he says it like that like, good. you can see Otto loves his granddaughter the only time we genuinely see him smile is because of Helena like we see we see we saw a menacing smile when he saw Allison stand up for herself on Driftmark but this one was this one was love and it's probably because Helena is not a tool he can use. So he has no expectations of her. She's of no value to him because she's married to his other shithead grandkid who is of value to him. So that's probably why she, he, she she's special to him. But if he was a good grandfather, he would have called Aegon out for then and there for the way he treats her. 
So yeah, he loves his granddaughter, but he doesn't care enough to tell Aegon to stop assaulting her. So still fuck, still fuck Otto, right? We're still f- club fuck Otto. But yeah, Helena, I, I mean, she's so whoopy. She probably just honestly like submits to Aegon and sees it as doing her duty. Because again, that's the only time he doesn't ignore me, she says. So just, she has a really sad life. But Viserys turns on the Spotify playlist. Jace gets up. And again, we see how compassionate Jace is. He walks over to Helena, probably feeling bad for her. Asks for a dance, right? They're they're hopping around doing the dragon two step. Aegon, he looks annoyed. Like in the books, in the books, he's heated. He's heated when he when Jace grabs Helena. Uh the music swells. Viserys looks around. Rhaenyra and Damon, they're laughing and drinking. Otto clapping and smiling as Helena's dancing. Allison laughing and acknowledging her father. Like, what the fuck is going on here? Right? The kids are all having fun. And Viserys looks at Jason Helena dancing. Look, this is the this is the match that Rhaenyra proposed Allison at the small council. She proposed that Helena Jace to marry Helena. And this is look at how happy they look. This is what could have been. And for Viserys, this is what he's wanted for the past 20, 25 years. It's in this moment right now where he realizes everything's okay. Rhaenyra and Allison, they both look at him. The violins swell higher as we see Viserys between a shot of Jason Helena in the foreground. More smiles from Rhaenyra and Damon, even that piece of shit Otto. And Viserys smiles one final time, realizing it's okay. Like, everything's okay. I can go now. Like, I held out for the past six years, ten years, right? I've been with, been fucking feeling like this for ever since Emma's death. I can go now. I've seen what I've, what I always wanted to see. And once he realizes this, he then realizes, oh shit, like, I'm in so much pain right now. He realizes how much pain he's he's truly in. And he's escorted back to his chambers. And so he he got the final dinner that he wanted for as long as he could he could hold out for. And this reminded me of my grandfather too. Like, you know, we would all the final days we had a final dinner for my grandfather. He wanted something very similar to this and he could only hold out for like two, three minutes. But yeah. Um, yeah, so, so Luke, (laughs) Luke has the pig, pink dread ordered in and placed in front of Amond and Amond looks at him, fucking Luke, man, kid just had to laugh. And yeah, this, this happened exactly as it did in the book. As I remember, Amond was the one to break this entire facade up, slams his fist on the table and says a final tribute to the health of my nephews. Jace, Luke, and Joffrey. Each of them handsome, wise. Strong. Amen. Come. Let us drain our cups to these three strong boys. I dare you to say that again. Why? It was only a compliment. Do you not think yourself strong? 
Jace leans in and clocks him across the jaw and aim and fucking Terminator psycho shit, right? He eats it and doesn't even waver in his stance. And Aegon slams Luke's head on the table. Bela goes after Aegon. Rainer holds her back. So Aemon just, he just taunted Jace and Luke just how Kristen taunted their father. Like he baited them just how Christian, a uh, Christian, just how Kristen baited Harwin and Damon baited Vamond. Uh, and Eamon, just like Damon, knows how to push buttons, right? Jace, Jace wants more. Damon steps in front of him, turns to Eamon, and Eamon's like, shit, like, okay, like, he loses the smile and walks away, and Damon just smiles and turns back around. And, and I mean, Eamon, Eamon, he's not even in his prime yet, bro. And Damon's only getting older, so this this rivalry is about to be crazy. And Allison and Rhaenyra, you know, they smooth things over. They're like, sorry. You know, our kids are little shits, right? <laughs> She's like, you have, Allison's like, you have a place here. And I think Allison means it. Like, she just witnessed what happiness looks like and feels like for the first time and probably forever since since they were teenagers. Now they have a chance. They're, now there's a chance for her and Rhaenyra, her once BFF for life, they could actually go back to how they were as teenagers and, you know, the happiest time that Allison ever experienced in her life was before all of this happened with Rhaenyra. And maybe they could, maybe she, maybe she will at this point say fuck it and hop on a dragon back and, and explore the world with Rhaenyra. Rhaenyra's like, I'll see all the kids home, come back on dragon back and you know, we'll work this out and everything will be okay. Whew. We cut to Masaria, overlooking King's Landing from um, the Pleasure House. And yeah, so, so Talia here. Okay, so Talia is she's spying for Masaria, which means she's spying for Otto, which means she's spying behind Allison's back. So she's probably going to tell Masaria about Aegon and Diana and all that went down at court today since Otto lost. Yeah, so okay, so I, I just put this together. Okay. Since Otto lost. He probably told Talia to go tell Masaria his next move and that he needs her help. That's probably the subtext here, and that's probably why Otto, despite taking the L, the final blow, the final L, is smiling at the dinner because he had this shit in his back pocket. He's like, okay. Like, I'm going to enjoy this dinner because I have Talia. She's going over to the White Worm, uh, Masaria, and she's going to tell her my plan on how we plan to deal with this shit. Right? So that's why he's probably, like, jovial and all giddy. That's what I think is going on. But we got our final scene here. The final scene of King Viserys, the first Targaryen. We dolly into Viserys' chambers. The rats are crawling all over the Valeria model. It's very grim. And how they open the scene makes you think that, yo, is Allison going to poison him or smother him or something and do another 360? But I think, look, at this point, we have to hand it to Allison. What Rhaenyra said was true. Okay, there's no denying that Allison has been a fabulous partner and only has the best intentions for Viserys. Yeah, she may be power hungry, but it's more from a position of not wanting to lose that power now that she has it. 
and she's had it for so long. That's what people who have money or power fear the most. It's losing it. But she would never let her greed force her hand to Viserys, like literally. Like she's had ample time to kill him and she never did. So I have to hand it to her. Um, look, I would want a partner as devoted to me as Allison is to Viserys. But there's no servants, you know, caring for Viserys at this point. That's probably an auto thing. It's just Allison, okay? Like, like on this podcast, we made a lot of Allison Cersei comparisons, but Cersei would never do this for Robert. Like, this is true care and devotion here from Allison. Think about the again. Think about their first scene together when she was a teenager. She always respected him. She always cared for him, and nobody. Nobody's around here, okay? There's no. She's not performing for anybody. Nobody is seeing this kindness. So it shows us that she really, truly fucking cares for him. And she feels bad for him. It's a bit of both. But yeah, Viserys is dying here. And I've seen this in my life. Like, body's going cold, in pain, shivering. Really hit home for me. Um, she gives him milk of the poppy to ease the pain and to fall asleep. He goes... I'm sorry. She shushes him. Shh. Right? He goes, but you wanted to know if I believe it to be true. Aegon. Our son. His dream. The song of ice. And It is true. What he saw in the north. The prince. Prince Edmund. Do you make the realm against the cold and the dark? It is you. You are the one. You must do this. You must now, okay. So, so Viserys is out of it. He thinks he's talking to Rhaenyra. But he goes, Aegon's dream, the Song of Ice and Fire. Allison's like, our son Aegon? So she's like, okay, my son had a dream. He saw something in the, in the north, the prince that was promised. She's like, I she, I, she's like, I don't understand. He's like, the prince that was promised. She's like, I don't understand. Like she, she's, He's like, the prince. She's like, Prince Aegon. He goes, to unite the realm against the cold and the dark. And it's already getting colder outside, as we saw earlier in this episode. She's probably thinking, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Something about being cold and cold, cold winds are blowing. Aegon, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to piece this together, right? He says, it's you. You are the one. You must do this. And this is what this is what Rhaenyra wanted to hear from Viserys early in this episode, because she didn't believe she was the one. But Viserys gives Allison this information instead, and she misinterprets it as her son Aegon and not Aegon the Conqueror's dream. It's Aegon's, her son's dream. He's the prince that who is promised and that he should be king. She gets up and she says she understands and she walks away. And we cut to the cat's paw dagger singing like the world is hanging on, hanging by a thread it's trying to say no, 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 no. Like that's that's not what's meant to go down. That's that's not what he meant, Allison. Like it's 
like the, the, the Valyrian steel, it understands that this moment is altering the course of history. It's altering the course of the world for all time. But, I mean, I don't know how to feel about this yet. Like, I still have to sit on this and see what other people are saying. People who are far more smarter than me. But how the dance starts and how the entire Targaryen history that follows, like, resting its laurels on Alicent misinterpreting Viserys's secret knowledge from Aegon that her Aegon and thinking that her Aegon is prince, the prince that was promised. Yeah, let me sit on that. Um, I mean, Alicent does remember something about a dream because when they were, were they were in the Kingswood by the fire and she approaches him and, you know, he's thinking about Emma just downing cups, cups of wine, right? He tells her he sought this dream night after night, but it never came and his obsession killed Rhaenyra's mother. And look, at that point, Allison, she's too young. She's too naive She's too naive to know what he was really talking about, what he really meant. And she never pressed him to, to tell her what, what he meant about it. But she probably does remember something about that. But it, again, it's crazy to think about. Like, if he just told Rhaenyra early in this episode, he wouldn't have repeated this to Allison. And history would have went a lot differently. Or... If Allison realized, okay, he thinks I'm Rhaenyra, maybe, maybe she would have told Rhaenyra. After all, they just reconciled, and it seems like they're going to make up and go back to being friends. But she thinks he's really she. She genuinely thinks that Viserys is talking about their son Aegon, because back in the Kingswood, Viserys is telling her like that in the stream, a son was born to me wearing Aegon's crown. So she's kind of putting two and two together here, like thinking, okay, she knows. She's like, okay, I think I, I know what he's talking about. She, I think she's trying to convince. She may be convincing herself that she understands him. That would be interesting. But she's going to use this information, this last like will and testament of Viserys to bolster Aegon's claim. But I don't know. I mean, I hope. I don't know how they're going to play this. Because it's pretty shady to come in the next day and say, nah, the king changed his mind on his deathbed while on Milk of the Poppy. Right? But well, she'll tell Otto, and Otto will take this, and he will fucking he will run to the bank with it. And he will tr retract Viserys' last act as king. Wild. Again, um... Not sure about the writing choice. It fits. Let, let me just say that it fits. But I thought we would get something different. I'm not like I'm not like. Wait, what? That's not that's not what I'm saying right now. It's more like okay, like yeah, like and, and look, the biggest battles in the war, the biggest wars, they're not often they're, they're 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 often fought over misunderstandings, and then situations boil to the point where there's no choice but war. And it's always something as simple as something like this, like a misinterpretation, and somebody says something, and then just triggers somebody else, and then somebody takes it and uses it to uses it to reaffirm their position and uses it using it as an excuse to secure power. That's just how history has always played out. So that's again, that's on brand for for this like being the reason why like the dance kind of just starts up. And yeah, like I just learned that last night via Patty's post that his final two lines were improvised. No more, he says. He got what he wanted. 
like he secured Rhaenyra's position and her children's. He saw his family happy together and as much pain as he was in, he got what he wanted. And, and he just told Rhaenyra that she is the prince that was promised. Only problem is, it wasn't Rhaenyra. But he believes that. And since he believes that, he can go now. He can rest. He reaches up, wearing Emma's ring, crying out of one of his eyes. He sees Emma. As we cut to black and a cold wind rises and the metal sings, he dies seeing Emma, believing his family are square and the realm will continue in peace for the next hundred years through Rhaenyra's rule, through Jace's rule, and Jace's kids after that. It's really tragic. Really, really tragic. And I want to read what Patty said in his Instagram post because he, he, he said it better than I could ever. So this is via Patty Constantine's Instagram. Thank you for the kind words. I cannot reply to every comment but I'd like to acknowledge that, that they haven't been lost upon me. It was an incredible adventure where I made lots of new friends that will be with me for the rest of my life. I'd like to thank the creators for allowing me the freedom to make Viserys my own. I've never loved a character so much. I want to give massive love and respect to Sion Brooke, who came in only for a few days, but changed the course of my character with her brilliant performance and commitment to the work. The impact stayed with me until my final improvised words. She unlocked the missing piece of the puzzle for me and allowed my story to come full circle. From the moment she dies, so does Viserys. It was a love story. That's the secret I carried with me. As sick as he gets, he never, himself, demands any cure. He quietly accepts his suffering, never forgiving himself, for putting his beloved wife through such torture in her final moments. Viserys was a gift. I am so honored he found me. Now, no more. So there's, there's no way he doesn't win an Emmy, not after this episode. And George R. R. Martin told him that, you know, look, you played Viserys better than I wrote him. And bravo to Patty. I think it's one of the greatest performances in TV history. And, you know, this might be the greatest performance in all of Thrones. I mean, like, I can't think back to a, a more powerful, singular performance from any actor in Thrones. Not even Sean Bean with Ned. But that wraps episode A, man. One of the greatest episodes of Thrones ever. Some say one of the greatest hours of television ever. Currently sitting at 9.5 on IMDb. I looked at the Game of Thrones IMDb and you know there's a bunch of 9.6s and 9.7s and two 9.9s. So that puts Lord of the Tides tied for fifth highest rated episode in the Game of Thrones Game of Thrones universe. The only episode from Thrones that we can even really compare it to this early on was Baylor from season one. 
uh, and that sits at a 9.6. That was episode nine in season one where, and that was the first really big, like that was like the first really big moment in television history that catapulted Game of Thrones into the phenomenon that it became. So like, like if you think back to like craziest moments in TV history, that's like, that's like number one, like that actually, that'd probably be number two. And then Ramsey and then the, the Red Wedding would be number one. So they, it probably, it's probably holds like the fo- top two, top three positions for crazy shit in, in TV. There'd be some Breaking Bad stuff in there as well. But, um, yeah, like I, I think this episode will do the same for House of the Dragon as Baylor did for Game of Thrones. I mean, look, we're already there, man. Like we're already at phenomenon level. Like the viewership is like triple to quadruple the viewership of OG Game of Thrones. And I mean, obviously we have the the following at this point, but it's trending one every Sunday night on Twitter. Everybody's talking about it, but I'm almost positive. I know where we're heading by the end of episode 10. It's going to be pretty insane. And I think if they nail it, what's about to happen that really sets the dance in motion. I think this could go down as one of the greatest seasons of TV ever. And look, who could have predicted it, right? Hot off of Thrones season eight, three, four years pass. I think that's, I think, I think Marvel like should like look at what's going on with Game of Thrones and how the phenomenon is still here. You give a property in a universe time and you know, it comes back stronger than ever. Dude, that's that's a rep- recipe you can replicate over and over and over again. I think, yeah, Marvel, DC, like, they better look at this and be like, start reassessing their plans. But, yeah, the, like, hot off of season eight of Thrones, the interest was so low. And they just put their, the, this team, man, they just put their heads down and they worked their asses off for four years and said, look, we don't care about any of that we're focused on our own thing and look at where we are but yeah episode 10 it's a it's about to be a madness i feel like as a book reader i'm excited to see that come to life but this was the episode i was waiting for and this is the one that finally blew me away i was waiting for it. i was waiting for one to just completely blow me away and little did i know it was gonna like actually make me bawl tears <laughs> Best episode of the season, one for the ages, really. And we got two more weeks, and then we got a long two-year break before we get season two. I will be back next week for the penultimate episode nine recap. And, you know, I'm talking a big game about episode 10, but penultimates are always the big ones for this universe. So let's see what the, let's see what happens. But I'm still, my money's still on episode 10 being a monster. But look, if you if you made it this far, man, drop a five star rating on Spotify. Drop a five star review on Apple Podcasts. It took me like fourteen hours to put this podcast together, like diving back into the lore, diving back in the book, rewatching the episode, pausing every like five seconds, starting just looking for little like clues and glances. Like it takes a lot of effort to put these podcasts together. Like I'm going over two hours at the at this point. Really put a lot of time and effort in into these things to make sure you guys eat good and, and have a good time. So. I'd really appreciate that if you could just drop five stars for me. Uh, as always, follow Cousin Vizzy on Instagram at Visualize Cinema. Yes, Chef. Heard Chef. Thank you, Chef. No more.